The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, I'm Rashma Kapadia, Associate Editor at Barron's. Welcome to Managing Your Money, Demystifying Investing. Today with me is Priya Milani, founder of financial planning firm Stash Wealth. Welcome, Priya. Hey, Rashma. Thanks so much for having me. So I'm so excited to have you join me um, to build on a conversation we had last week with Level Up, um, really kind of trying to make investing more accessible. And I know you started on Wall Street working with high net worth clients before founding Stash Wealth, um, which focuses more on millennials. Can you tell us a little bit about what you learned um, during your time at Merrill on how to make this conversation about money and financial security more accessible to a wider audience? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, Rashma, it's such an important conversation, and I'm so happy to see that um, there's more conversation being had. Um, firms like yours, Barron's, of course, doing a great job to encourage others to start thinking about their personal finances, because the sooner you think about, as we put it, getting your financial shit together, the more uh, impactful um, and the less you'll have to compromise overall. And none of us really want to compromise. So it's really important to be empowered around your personal finances and have a conversation and dig in. Because the truth that I learned working on Wall Street was that um, it's not hard. And um, when it comes to demystifying the world of money, the world of investing, the world of personal finance, I learned that when we were working with these high net worth clients on Wall Street, that personal finance is truly not hard and even investing isn't hard it's just a very vast landscape mm -hmm. yeah vast and, and it's also sort of encircled by jargon that makes it seem much well, more complicated <laughs> than it may be um so that's a great point so i you know so your client base really includes what you call henry's right high earners who are not rich yet so give me an example like what are we talking about in terms of um wealth and income and age demographics yeah, and to be honest, the Henry demographic spans all ages, um, but typically we see it as young professionals who are coming into their peak um, or their early peak earning year, years, so six-figure earners around the country living in metropolitan cities who are starting to feel like, wow, I'm making, I'm making good money. I, I kind of want more to show for it. I want to make sure I'm not missing any opportunities to be smarter with my money. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a very, uh, I think there are a lot of people who fit into that category. So this is a great conversation. So let, let's start with some of the biggest areas of confusion amongst um, some of your clients when they come to you, you know, whether it's about sort of basic personal finance or investing. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to jump into some areas of confusion that we see in the Henry, that high earner, not rich yet demographic. But quite frankly, it's definitely not just them. I think across the board, one of the biggest areas of confusion is that people typically think you have to be rich to start investing. Um, and we definitely want to, to unwind that myth because um, it's just a hurdle you're putting in front of yourself. And I think it's human nature to probably put hurdles in front of ourselves. I think often about people who are starting a new gym routine, a new fitness routine, even myself. Um, you know, you spend that last weekend before you're about to hit the hit the gym on Monday, just 
binging a little bit, maybe you get extra, <laughs> extra fries, bottomless mimosas. I'm definitely guilty of that. And same thing when it comes to taking control of your personal finances. We hear all the excuses. My mom's in town. We're going shopping, just one big shopping trip. My, this is our last, or I'm going to decorate this, redecorate this one room in my house. And, you know, then I'll get my financial shit together. So, you know, in reality, there's more you can do when you have your financial shit together. It's, we know you're a mess. It's okay. Just just start. Don't wait till you're rich. Don't wait for the right time. Don't wait. Just get get started. Um, so when it comes to investing, for sure. Another big area of confusion, this is across all types of clients, the difference between investing and gambling. Mm -hmm. People think about investing as a tool to help them double their money overnight. Like, oh, I have, you know, 10,000 sitting in the bank account. I'm getting married next year. Maybe I should invest it. So it'll be 20,000 by next year. That, that is not investing. Um, investing is a way to build your money over time, not overnight. So if you're expecting that like quick win, you probably have better odds going to Vegas and uh, it's way more fun. They give you free cocktails at most of the casinos. So gambling, leave it for Vegas. Investing is a long-term way to grow your money and grow your wealth. Yeah. And then, I mean, I guess the entire idea of starting early and starting a little at a time, you have the power of compounding, right? Which really can work in your favor um, the earlier you get going. So, that, And I, I think that that's a lot of people think like, look, I'm juggling X, Y, Z, and I don't have a ton of money. So I don't, I, I'm not even going to get started investing. And it does seem like that's one of the, the major issues. Um, so I'm going to ask the audience, um, remind them to sort of submit questions in the Q&A, and I will try to get to them through the conversation, especially at the end. Um, so let's, Priya, let's talk a little bit about some of the old personal finance rules that were out there. I mean, I, I started my career at Smart Money, you know, a long time ago, and there were, there were tons of those rules. Can you give us some examples of those rules of thumb that may be outdated um, and perhaps offer, offer alternative guidance to the people who um, are just getting started? Yeah, absolutely. We encounter old school advice um, that people, that our clients, our Henrys come to us with. And it's, it's not their fault. It's stuff that's handed down from their parents. And the, their parents are really just looking out for their best interests. But we see it all the time, these, these, uh, this, this sort of conventional, traditional way of thinking when it comes to money management. Um, so one of the most common myths or old school pieces of advice that we have to unwind is that buying a home is a smart investment, that it's the cornerstone of your investment portfolio, maybe the first step to adulthood. Um, we work very hard to educate and empower Henry's to make decisions that are that are not just based on this passed down wisdom, because that wisdom may not hold the test of time. It may not even be mathematically efficient. Mm -hmm. um, and when it comes to buying a home, I think that's the one that's the hardest for people to pull away from because it's it's just so steeped in our the way that we're. we're it waiting. is. It has, and, I, and that was one of my questions that I wanted to ask you because obviously the backdrop for um, this entire rents versus own conversation has changed markedly in the last year, even with rates, right? So how how should people be thinking about it? So if you're in that point where you're like, I missed out, <laughs> didn't get the low rates, you know, it was priced out of the market, whatever, you know, how how are you helping clients kind of? think through this decision-making process on the rent versus buy, especially considering where mortgage rates are right now. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a hypersensitive one for sure, because again, we feel like that's such an important move to make as an adult. Um, but we often remind clients that renting is not throwing money away. Um, and so this is going to be a bit of a hot take. But quite frankly, if you move away from thinking of your home, your primary first home that maybe you're moving to after college or you've um, decided that you're growing your family, interest rates should not be part of the conversation, should not be a primary driver for whether or not you move away from renting and decide to buy. Uh, interest rates are, and that's kind of good news, right? Because you didn't miss anything. In the long run, you didn't miss out. It's okay. This is a different type of decision when you buy a home through the lens of what's best for you or your family or your living situation versus thinking of it. Granted, it's a big financial decision, but it doesn't necessarily need to be driven by the interest rate environment. Yeah, that is that is definitely um, a, a different take than what we often hear. So I guess then if you are not build, if you don't need your home to be a cornerstone of your sort of wealth, um, you know, security, wealth building, how should people be thinking about sort of um, getting started when life is expensive, right? Um, we're seeing sort of childcare costs go up 30%. People are dealing with student debt. Walk me through some of the ways people should be thinking about these different claims on their on their um, paychecks every year. Oh my gosh, life is so expensive, <laughs> um, and that's that's exactly why we advocate for having a financial plan. And really, all that boils down to because that also feels a little jargony. Like, what is this mystical financial plan that's going to solve all of my problems? Really, truly, boil down. It's so straightforward. It's a conversation with yourself or maybe your significant other um, or whoever is in your life and, and part of this conversation about goals and priorities. And we find it especially helpful um, for those who are embarking on a new new relationship that's that's in that getting into that serious territory um, to, to take a step back and think about talk about what you each value and prioritize because to your question, the decisions about what to do with that paycheck that comes in have to, they, they, they should be driven by your values. And your values, when it comes to money, come from, usually are inherited from our parents um, for good or bad. And when you are having this conversation with your partner, you guys grew up in different homes, you've seen money in a, through different eyes, through different light. Um, and so taking a step back and thinking about life is expensive. Where do we want to see our money go? What do we want to do? What do we want to be able to accomplish together? Um, it's important to think about what your values are first, whether you're in a relationship or not, before deciding where that. Yeah, and that's it. Go. And that's a conversation. I think money is such a taboo topic that it's not a conversation that everyone has. So obviously that's very important. Um, so I guess, you know, I, I know you often talk about sort of um, how do we know if we're living a lifestyle we can afford? I know there's always a conversation about budgeting, but that seems something like that people don't really want to do. So like help help um, the audience members kind of understand, um, you know, what are some of the red flags that you're not sort of um, getting the balance right? 
That's such a good point. We do talk about, are you living a lifestyle you can afford? Because we're all out boozy brunching and, and living our best life. I think social media makes it so hard um, to not want to participate. But our public service announcement is that your friends appear a lot richer on social media <laughs> than they actually are. And we know because we see the credit card statements behind, yeah. um, behind what they're spending. But you know, when it comes to budgeting, that's a that's a taboo work, word actually at Stash Wealth. We hate budgeting. We do not think it works. Um, budgeting, and this is probably also another hot take. People are like, what are you doing interviewing someone in finance saying not to budget? That seems ridiculous. But budgets don't work. They just end up making you feel guilty because you always blow through your budget. It's, mm -hmm. it's very difficult to Life is life is unpredictable and, and budgets are quite flank, frankly too rigid. Um, and I would encourage the audience out there to, to give themselves some grace. If you have tried budgeting and failed, it's not you, it's the budget. Um, so the way we think about it at Stash Wealth is uh, we, we take a page out of Mr. Buffett's playbook, um, the great Warren Buffett. And what he says is don't save whatever you have after you spend, spend whatever you have after you save. Um, and that can feel tricky because we just talked about life being expensive. And if you follow traditional budgeting, it's like whatever's left over at the end of the month, that's what I'll save. Yeah. There's never anything left over at the end of right. the month, let's be honest. So you have to go back to that idea of what are my goals? What do I value? What am I trying to work towards? And it doesn't have to be financial freedom and retirement and all these like abstract things. It can be my friends getting married in Portugal next year and I just want to be able to go to her bachelorette party. It can be small bite-sized goals that you have for yourself that you want to be planned and prepared for. And so we follow a philosophy called reverse budgeting, which essentially allows you to save first, sets you up to save first so that you can truly blow the rest of your money guilt-free. So it's sort of the, the I mean, I think this, it works with diets too, but it's like small, small little pieces and small goals that are obtainable, right? So that, that makes sense to me. Um, so just to kind of take that budget is sort of the reverse budgeting um, forward. So does that mean, let's say, if you are struggling with childcare or you're thinking of, um, you know, your kid's education, that you're sort of allocating a certain percentage? And how do you kind of think about those Sort of medium term um, goals. So, if, you know, if you're 30, you're not necessarily planning for retirement and thinking that way, um, but you're thinking about the next 15 years. I mean, it, just kind of walk us through how do you have different buckets, different sort of saving buckets? Yeah, absolutely. Like very tactically, uh, we are big advocates of utilizing high yield savings accounts at online banks. Um, speaking to the conversation earlier about confusion, I think there is some confusion around the brick and mortar bank mm -hmm. and the online bank. And that's a big point of education for us. Um, Rishma, when was the last time you walked into a bank? Yeah, I don't even know if they're any around anymore these days, to be <laughs> exactly. honest. <laughs> so the online bank is just uh, it's, it's the same as a brick and mortar bank, except for one huge difference, which is that they don't have those physical bank, bank branches that you walk into. And because an online bank isn't paying for all of that real estate, they're saving a ton of money and they pass that 
uh, that's those savings that they pass the savings on to you, the um, person who holds an account there, they pass it to you in the form of a higher interest rate. Mm-hmm. So the number one thing we hear at Stash Wealth is how do I make my money work harder for me? And we're like, well, use an online bank, save for your goals by automating and um, your money's your money's working harder for you until you need it, until you're ready to go on that bachelorette party. Mm-hmm. Um, so use an online bank, set up an account for your small goals or mid-sized goals, childcare, all of that, and nickname the uh, account. One other fun fact or tip I like to give is that studies show psychologically, if you nickname your savings account, actually put a purpose to it, like uh, uh, Turks and Caicos trip, it's so much harder. You're so much less likely to touch that money when, whoops, the credit card bill is a little high because it, mm-hmm. it, it always is. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good, good way to do that. Um, so, I, you know, I didn't mention retirement. Obviously, you do want to be saving um, for retirement along the way to actually be in a good spot. I mean, how do you, how, is there, is there a new thinking for things like 401ks? I think a lot of people are not necessarily in companies um, in sort of the old, traditional way of working, right? We have a lot of freelancers and contractors and um, entrepreneurs. So how do you help those clients save for retirement? Yeah, the number one key is automation. So taking a bit of your paycheck and siphoning it off with that goal in mind, retirement. Because again, to your point earlier, compounding, compounding really only works with time. The more time you give yourself, the more your money will grow. So starting to think about retirement, even if you're a freelancer, entrepreneur, um, or you have a 401k through or 403b through your company or employer is is certainly important, but one thing we caution, especially the Henry demographic that we serve, is be careful to not be over saving for mm-hmm. retirement. And that sounds like crazy. I'm <laughs> probably dropping some draws out there, but like, actually, I think Barron's recently did an article that a study that showed that the millennial generation is is um, set to outpace baby boomers as far as preparedness for retirement because they're automating and they're yeah. automating from a very early age. And that's a powerful study. You don't you don't want to be saving too much for the future because you have time and you have a lifestyle to live today. You have other goals and travel and things you want to do. So. The idea of your parents telling you max it out, max that, put as much as no, you don't necessarily need to when you when you're young and you're getting. So how do you figure it out? I guess I mean I I I think so. Someone who's in you know 30s trying to figure out how much they should be saving. I think we often say at least save to get the match from your employer. But like you know, give me some some ideas because I think people who are in their 30s may not have social security or in their 40s may not have social security in the same way as the boomers. They may have different health care costs. Retirement may look different. I mean, what are, how do you help people understand sort of how much is too much and, and how to figure out what they should be saving? Yeah, that's a great question. And and financial planning is more of an art than a science. And so we work very closely with our clientele to to. Uh, make sure that they're on track for healthy retirement. Um, And and that, like I said, it it can be nuanced and it can be unique to each individual because when it comes to thinking about retirement, people fall into one of two camps. Usually it's like, oh, when I retire, if I even choose to retire, I want to go live in a cabin. I never want to see another individual. That person's retirement costs are going to look very different for someone who's like, oh my gosh, empty nester, jet setting. I want to be all over the world, flying first class like that. Or, you know, it's just, 
under, it's really hard to, in your 20s, 30s, yep. even 40s to think about that. So usually for um, high level guidelines, Rashma, is when you're not with debt, if you do not have debt in your situation, um, particularly bad debt, like credit card debt, we typically fall into these high level guidelines. And again, you, you want to when you get ready to get your financial shit together and have a financial plan, these numbers should be tweaked. But high level, typically we like to see about 80% of your net paycheck, that's what hits your checking account, yeah. go towards your lifestyle. Um, and 20% get split up between your short, mid and long term financial goals, 20% um, being for everything like um, holiday gifts that you want to save up for so that when the holidays roll around, you're not putting it all on your credit card with no plan to pay it off. More midterm goals like maybe travel or an international yeah. trip you want to take things coming up in the next three to five years. And then obviously more long term like college planning for those who are prioritizing that for their family and retirement. So 20% is typically what we advise you should be siphoning off. Yeah, I think, it, you know, obviously, it's, you made a good point um, of having uh, tweaking along the way. But I think when we talk about these things in such an abstract way, without any high level guidelines, it's hard for people to understand. So I, I appreciate that. Um, so I, I'm going to try to get some of these questions in. Um, so um, obviously, given sort of the rate environment that we talked about, you mentioned the online savings accounts, and that's obviously where a lot of people are stashing their cash these days. Um, what is your view on things like tips and I-bond ETFs? Do you, is that something that you use? And, and how are you thinking about that in the current backdrop? That's a yes. question from Barney. <laughs> um, Barney has been doing some research and reading some blogs, and <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so again, because we focus on the Henry demographic, usually, um, they're investing for the mid and long term. And those types of investments are going to be two ITIPS bonds are going to be two uh, CDs. Um, even sometimes money market accounts are not right for their goals. And rather than thinking about what is my risk tolerance, what, 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 how am I comfortable when it thinks, when it comes to losing um, my principal, we like to reorient the conversation around what is your goal? When are you trying to accomplish it? And how much will you need? And that is a better picture painter of how you should be invested. So whether or not you should keep your money in cash under a mattress or whether you should have it aggress more aggressively invested shouldn't be driven necessarily by the interest rate environment. Um, I can certainly tell you take advantage of high interest rates at, at these online banks, but for your mid and long-term goals where you want your money to grow, it's more to be determined by I need $10,000 to take myself on an Alaskan cruise in five years, because that's my dream. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I guess then for, for those sort of shorter term goals, what I hear you saying, given the rates, especially is it's sort of that's where you, the cash under the mattress is giving you a good deal of money if that mattress is an online <laughs> savings account, right? Like, is that, is that sort of the, so the short term stuff is, should be in the online savings account. And then the mid to near, considering where we are in the stock market and considering the backdrop for interest rates, are you having any sort of thoughts in terms of that allocation mix? No, that's absolutely correct. And when it comes to bonds as an alternative to the high yield savings account, obviously bonds give you less uh, flexibility, more restrictions. So keeping it given the interest rate environment in your high yield savings account offers you the most amount of flexibility. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And have you been thinking um, differently about the stock market? Jack, Jack was asking um, bonds versus stocks, given sort of the interest rate, um, sort of where we are in the Fed potentially um, starting to 
lower rates, um, you know, next year, um, obviously it's hard to know. Um, I don't know if those are sort of things that you think about as you're sort of allocating your, your clients' re resources. Yeah, uh, I, I remind the audience not to think about investing as a tool for the short term, but actually to think, and this is, of course, we, we serve um, a, a younger clientele, our average client is in their mid to late 30s. Mm -hmm. um, so when, when it comes to investing, you want to think of investing as a tool for the mid and long term, mm -hmm. which means interest rates will work themselves out because they always do historically when you look at um, what's happened in the past. So as far as um, thinking about a bond versus stock allocation, we strictly reverse engineer portfolios and 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 uh, what that allocation should be based on time horizon and amount of goal uh, needed for goal. And so, what about you know? Um, Alex is asking, what about taxes? How should how should this group be thinking about tax implications? There is sort of this. Um, larger, longer-term view that taxes are likely headed higher, especially for people who are in their 30s or 40s, considering the deficit and and all the things that are happening um, in the backdrop there. Um, how how do you think about taxes, or how should your clients be thinking about taxes? Yeah. So again, we um, <laughs> we don't like to predict the future, and I think that's most people think like when it comes to investing or when it comes to taxes, like that you can predict the future. That's something we strongly disagree with. And we it, it's too much. It's there's enough anxiety in this world. We don't need to put more stress and uh, stuff on ourselves trying to think about what the future is going to look like. What we advocate for is flexibility mm -hmm. for our clients. So interest as taxes may go up, they may go down. And so why not allocate your uh tax uh, tax deferred savings or even your taxable savings in a way that gives you maximum flexibility. So for example, just to give it sort of a tactical um, answer here, when it comes to a lot of companies are offering 401ks and Roth 401k mm -hmm. options mm -hmm. and clients will ask us like, which one should we use? And our stance is 50-50. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah, that that is something because I think most Henrys would not be able to qualify for a Roth, probably, but they can if their their employers are offering it. Right? It's a great way to get access to a Roth because you're right; there are income limits on a like a Roth IRA. But if you have a Roth 401k, definitely take advantage of it. But don't necessarily lock all of your money up there. It also constricts your lifestyle today because if you have to pay tax on that um, money, obviously, it goes in after tax. Uh, that takes away from your lifestyle today. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and what about insurance? I sort of feel like this is a conversation that doesn't happen often, but then people have um, questions about it. You know, is is that something that you help your clients think about in terms of term life insurance or, uh, you know, other kinds of insurance that they should be thinking about when they're younger? Not to stereotype, but we see it all the time. Oh, my uncle sold me yeah. a whole life policy. And it's sad because... Uh, quite frankly, the conversation around insurance, there just needs to be a lot more education um, to, to help people to make the right choice for them. So insurance comes into the picture or should come into the picture or should be a conversation you have start having when either one of two things is present. Either one, someone is dependent on your income. That could be a child. It could be a significant other. It could be a parent or typically when you own property with somebody else. So unless you are in a situation where someone's dependent on your income or you do own property in joint name, you probably don't need life insurance. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. That's and nice. especially not whole life insurance, which is extremely expensive. And unless you're in a level of wealth that is rare, um, upper upper one percent, it's not going to be a tax used as a tax strategy. Um, so we, we like to stick with term. And there are actually newer, cooler companies coming out. One that I think of is Ladder, where the point of insurance is to protect you protect those that are dependent on you in case something happens to you. And as you're automating and saving for your goals, over time, you're going to build up enough protection for yourself and you won't need that insurance. So what we like about companies like Ladder is they actually, the premium and the protection declines over time while you're automating and building up your own protection that that is getting cheaper for you. Mm. Kind of like a reverse target date fund, I guess. Exactly. Um, okay, that's that's great. Um, so here I um, I've got some questions here. Wade was asking, "What is a Henry?" We were talking about Henrys are high earning, not rich yet folks that are sort of your client base can be any any age, but sort of you said six figures, right? Um, to some extent, correct. Right? Yeah. And then um, Hal is asking, "Can you explain again sort of why building equity in a home is no longer the path to wealth creation?" Oh, this is, I know it's so emotional. It's like really bursting the bubble. Um, but some, like, I, I think the, the biggest, okay, I'll give you, I'll, I think this is best through an example. Oftentimes people uh, don't realize that outside of bubble markets, home prices just keep in pay, place with in, inflation. And New York mm-hmm. Times did an article recently that showed over the last 126 years, home prices outside of bubble markets appreciated this number's going to, it's going to be staggering 0.37%. Yeah. Right. So for majority of the country, we don't live in bubble markets. And so your home is just keeping pace with inflation. Now, if you take into consideration that like, let's say you buy a home for 200,000, you sell it for 300,000, you walk away with a hundred K you're feeling fantastic because that equity that you were putting instead of like quote unquote, throwing money away towards rent, but un- until you take out the remaining mortgage, consider closing costs, realtor fees, the routine maintenance on a home, which roughly is estimated around 2 to 3% of your home value per year, interest payments, the money you receive back actually net of those costs for most people in the country. You bring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that <laughs> I think that will give a lot of people some relief because I think there's a lot of people who felt like they missed the missed the bus, you know, um, on that. Um, so I guess one one last question is more sort of a comment. I think um, Elizabeth is saying that she has advised others to readily admit that something is not in their budget for this, you know, today, tomorrow, this week, or this month, um, and just sort of understanding what when a person can really sort of afford. I mean, is that sort of something that you you've seen your clients do? I guess what are strategies that help Henry's kind of really um, move up that ladder, that income ladder, wealth ladder? So if I understand your correction a question correctly, is it is it about li- understanding your lifestyle expenses? Yeah. 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 Because we, we're big proponents and we make clients go through this exercise, even though it's not the most fun, it's incredibly eye-opening and a huge helps with mindset around money is simply, I encourage everyone in the audience who's listening to open up their credit card statement and look at just what goes out the door, what they swipe their credit card or debit card for. Um, you think you know where your money's going. I promise you, if you open up your last couple of credit cards and look, you will certainly probably start to rethink um, where where and for what you swipe. Mm-hmm. Especially for all the Apple, yeah, the Apple Pay is and all the things that you don't even think about anymore. It's become so easy to like just uh, 
to pay for things. Um, okay, one. this is really the last question. So David's asking, um, do you ever advise annuities for sing single millennials? Capital N, capital O. Let's explain why. Um, so first of all, let's go back to the conversation around goals. Um, and I'm assuming this is a, uh, you said millennial. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, typically we don't believe in saving for the sake of saving or investing for the sake of investing. That's just gambling, um, not a way to uh, think about, you want to put purpose behind your saving and your investing strategy. So without understanding what the goal is for this millennial, um, I can tell you the eight years we've been in business, we've never advocated for an annuity once. There are other ways to accomplish your goals that are likely cheaper and reduced fees. Mm -hmm. Annuities just happen to be a product that, quite frankly, I find most beneficial to the people that sell them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's often been sort of the reputation for annuities for a long period of time. Um, well, this was great. Thank you so much. It was nice to get a fresh sort of take on on our money. Um, and, and so I appreciate that, Priya. Um, it's, this is all the time we have for today. Thanks again, Priya, for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for helping the conversation. So please join us again tomorrow. Market Watch real estate reporter Arthi Swaminathan and John Burns, CEO of John Burns Research and Consulting, for a discussion on what's driving demand for newly built home sales. Thank you for listening. Be well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.